I'm Adam McGee. And I'm Andrew Snyder. And you're listening to Caption Celluloid, a podcast about bats. Is that right, Andrew? Is this a podcast about bats? Batman? It has, it has been a podcast about bats in the past when we did a baseball episode, but now <laughs> we're going to, to steer into another bat direction at the this truth bat is, time. You've wanted a podcast about bats for a long time. You've been right. Am I am I getting my wires crossed here? You're very right that I've wanted a podcast about bats, but with that particular podcast, I'm the boy that cried podcast, and it just never seems to materialize. But you know, we are getting technically the bat podcast like under my belt now. So, you know, it technically counts. Yeah, we are here to talk about the Batman. Um, the latest Batman movie. I mean, they come quite frequently now. Movies in that world too, particularly the way DC are working, um, are not all that uncommon. But Matt Reeves is the director who has helmed the latest iteration of uh, Batman on screen. And with Robert Pattinson as the Batman and an absolutely stacked cast of supporting actors, there's a lot to talk about here. Uh, so much so that we got Andrew to go to the cinema like in timely fashion from release like this is pretty quick for us um you usually play catch up but you you went you checked this out so did you enjoy it what are your what are your overall your kind of general thoughts before we get into specifics on the batman yeah i absolutely enjoyed it i will remove any kind of suspense and just say flat out that I really, really, really liked it. And I had some, I I don't even want to say skepticism going in because I had heard differing points of view from different corners of like things I'd pick up on Twitter, different friends that saw it. So uh, one line of feedback I got from people was, uh, you know, I I liked it because I like Batman, but I don't know if if people that don't like Batman are going to like it. And then the other uh, talk that some, some I had heard was, well, I don't know if it's a great Batman movie, but it's a really well done movie. And then I I see it and I come out like the uh, commercial where they're trying to decide whether they're going to have hard tacos or soft tacos. And they say, why not both? And that's really what I felt like coming out of the Batman. I thought it was a really good Batman movie, uh, kind of telling a, a darker, dirtier side of of Bruce Wayne and the underworld of Gotham. And I thought it was just a really good, like detective slow burning noir movie. Um, Like Batman as Chinatown is kind of like something that really appeals to me. And so from, from those two directions, I mean, it just really worked for me in in all facets. And as I've said many times before, and on a podcast more specifically that will never hear the lie today, I have no relationship (laughs) to characters in terms of their comic book history. So the stories that these films are telling me are the only kind of relationship I have with them. And I really like this world that they've started to build. What I'll hold up to you, you'll see, and I'll explain for listeners is it's a copy of the dark Knight returns. Um, the famed Frank Miller, um, dark take on an old aging Batman, which is not exactly what we get here, but it's, I recently picked it up, Andrew. I'm becoming a Batman, not the Batman. That's an important distinction to make. But I've picked up a number of uh, Batman graphic novels just as something that I had long thought, oh, I should do that sometimes. And this movie, I liked it enough that I went, you know what? I'll actually do that now. Um, But I I think to your point, 
it dives into some of the darker sides of Batman's character and of Gotham as a world. And I think that will appeal to hardcore Batman fans. But I do think as a movie, it probably functions about as well, if not better than any other Batman movie has just as a movie. Like I, I might side more with the people who say, you know, this is, this is, a better movie than it is a Batman movie and I'm not even that's not a knock on how it is as a Batman movie I just it's good about which is definitely something that it it should be commended for but I, I can certainly see that and it's I think it's ambitions it took kind of thematic content and the ideas and the story and they were grounded very much within kind of a certain type of Batman storytelling but I think the execution really brought it out beyond that and some of the ideas some of the more contemporary ideas i think too that bring in elements where i think i i don't know if you have to be the most hardcore batman fan to enjoy this now it is almost three hours long so if you're not a hardcore batman fan are you gonna you gonna buy the ticket are you gonna go along for this ride are you gonna even by the time this is on hbo max which is not that far away will non-Batman fans be like, yeah, three hours of Batman? Probably not. So that's an obstacle that's always tough for it to overcome. But I, I think it's done a really, really good job of being something that could tread those two lines. Um, some of those people might just take some convincing. Maybe we can help do that as we go on. One of the things for me that I wanted to kind of jump into, because I think I'm a little, little further uh, removed from seeing it now, than you but the thing that more than anything is still sticking with me and that really kind of resonated with me at the time in the screening and made me think about this feels like something that's really hard for superhero movies to do in this particular way which sounds counterintuitive because marvel's whole deal has basically been all of the characters are in the shared universe so they're going to cross between movies you know, someone could pop up here at any given time. Except it doesn't really happen like that. It's always much more carefully kind of navigated. Um, a lot of the time the crossovers, probably for things as simple as like scheduling reasons or short cameos that could be saved for post-credits, unless it's like a notable major team up where it's like, yeah, this movie has this character's name on it, but really it's a two-character movie. Like something like the most recent Spider-Man, there are, there are certainly elements of that with Doctor Strange um, where he's there, he's front and center. And it's like, yeah, of course, of course, this is a Spider-Man movie, but there's also the work it's doing for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Man that's coming next. And there have been examples of that all throughout the MCU. What those films have never really made me feel in an interesting way, though, is something that could be a bit more spontaneous which is that those characters are, you know, living around the corner and may actually be involved in things off screen, that this is a real continuous ongoing world. And there are parts of this we'll probably hold back on until later the, close to the end because of spoiler reasons. But the thing I really enjoyed with the Batman is the amount of familiar names, uh, amount of familiar characters from Batman's world that are in this movie as a first movie, but it's not like no powder has been kept dry and everyone's just being thrown out there at once and they're all there. It's just something that feels much more true to the comics, really, and to any comic world, which is, you know, 
this is a Riddler movie, but as most people will know, Colin Farrell is also playing the Penguin. Like, if you're to say who's, if we're to kind of ascribe this movie to a particular villain, I think it's certainly going to be the Riddler movie. But unlike even, say, the Nolan Batman films where you very clearly have, like, a Joker movie, the Bane movie, I I don't think it's as straightforward here because everything is moving. It's moving in the background and things that will come into play later are there, they're happening and they're important. But it also doesn't feel like those characters are purely existing to do things that we'll know about later. Like, it, for example, it feels like the penguin is living a very full life in this world and we're not seeing all of it on screen. And if the next movie takes a much, much kind of tighter focus on that character, I think it will be all the more successful for the fact that we were felt to, we we're given the chance to kind of feel, oh, that's a real character that's active in this world and has, you know, fingers in a lot of pies might be the way to put it for the penguin. Uh, I think that, yeah, that's something that I found too. It's just how rich the world that was created in terms of those secondary characters. Um, the penguin is one, but I, I remember there's a certain point, and I'll say this without spoiling where we get to the end of the film and there something happens that feels like the resolution that would happen at the end of the movie. And then quickly you realize that you've forgotten about one of the loose ends <laughs> that's uh, still hanging out there. And that has to be resolved as well. So yeah, I feel like they did a great job of just packing a lot into now. It is a three hour movie, so they packed a lot into a lot, but they were able to pull out little bits of backstory and little bits of nuance uh, into each of these characters so that as you go forward into other movies, even if they're not present, if you just the feeling is like you said, they're they're somewhere here and they could pop up or they might not. And it would still be just as fine. Um I guess uh, one thing that I think um, might have been a, a topic for debate that's, um, I don't know, been, I don't, I don't know how controversial it's gotten, but I, one of the things that always stands out when someone portrays Batman is what kind of Bruce Wayne are you going for? Um, and this was a take that I don't think we've quite seen before that was also pitch perfect for like what you said in terms of it, drawing some inspiration from the the Dark Knight Returns Frank Miller comic where we've got older, depressed, beaten down Batman, but translating that into Batman towards the early middle part of his journey. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's something that thematically and narratively and just for character is something that was surprising that all but also felt real because we've heard Batman's origin story in countless retellings of this uh this fran- franchise we're calling this character a million times parents are killed traumatized him, set out to fight crime and all of that and but i think in some of the nolan movies or some of the other movies it's like yes he had all that trauma and baggage and carried that into being batman but when he was bruce wayne uh especially in the like the the dark knight where bale's not quite old and washed up he's still swinging playboy Bruce Wayne philanthropist billionaire who's out on the town dating models and you know uh pining after Maggie Gyllenhaal whereas I think what this did such a good job of doing is saying well couldn't that trauma have also made an impact on his life as Bruce Wayne where he's this recluse who's a 
20, we'll call it a 28 year old weirdo who anytime someone sees him out on the town, like it's like, Oh shit, Bruce Wayne's here. Kind of a thing. I thought that was a really interesting twist on something we've seen before applied to older Bruce Wayne, but uh, it applies that, you know, lack of invincibility that's so appealing about Batman as a superhero, but also shows it extending to, you know, just who he is on a daily basis. And I thought it worked really, really well. And so that extends to, you know, how all of the characters uh, serve a purpose and are unique and nuanced in that own way. And it grounds the film more in a realism that it's striving for. Like, obviously, it's a Batman movie. It's not looking to be ultra-realist, but it, it it's looking to be much more realist than most of these films, even the Nolan films. I mean, in terms of its look, it's sure, it's probably more stylized, but it is definitely, it's grittier, and it's it's going for a certain tone. And much like, you know, the idea of... Um, Clark Kent putting his glasses on and no one recognizing he's Superman is like really far-fetched. The idea that, you know, the cowl comes off and, you know, Bruce Wayne just goes out to parties and he's he's so rich and he's so relaxed and he's so easygoing and so handsome is is a tough one to kind of, I don't know, to hold both those ideas in your head at once is not always easy. And um, I think a lot of people recently in comparing this, they've talked about how good Bale was as Bruce Wayne. I, I, I get that. I think he's just good as like a billionaire playboy, but whether that's necessarily the, the right balance to capture for that character on screen is, is a tough one. Now I'm not saying that to say this is the right balance either. Cause this is definitely closer to another extreme with like Robert Pattinson's kind of strung out emo Bruce Wayne but it's interesting and you know if you're going to keep making these movies and do stuff with them give us something new give us something we haven't seen on screen before and we haven't seen this version of Batman on screen before so I fully embrace that two thumbs up and when Pattinson was cast I mean I think it was clear this was going to be a little bit different given his tastes um, to get him involved and to get him to sign up for Batman. There were hints for anyone who's been following his career, I guess, that this could be something along these lines. And the fact that it is, is great because you're not even just being like, who could we get to play Batman? Oh, I guess Robert Pattinson can act now. He's uh, been the face of franchises before. Sure, let's put him in. It's like, well, if you want Robert Pattinson, let's kind of play to his strengths as an actor and that will give you the best possible Batman you can make with him in it. And that is what's happened here. But it, it is, it's a, it's always kind of a, an interesting decision. And even when you think back on other, other actors who've portrayed Batman, there is now a really kind of a growing range, but you can pick out similarities between them. Bruce Wayne, this Bruce Wayne is so far removed from anything we've seen in Bruce Wayne in a live action film before. And it's about time like it's just it's it's a case of have some fun with it and i think this movie is having a lot of fun and people won't talk about it that way because it's really dark and kind of relentlessly grim and pretty heavy so it's not going to be considered the fun batman movie but i think creatively like the fun that writers directors are having that everyone cast and crew is having in making this version of it it shows on screen like and it, it makes for something that is just really interesting and bold uh, with that too i mean i was thinking about something which just kind of feel somewhat obvious do you think there's a reason why 
it often seems to fall on Batman to just like shake up superhero movies or what people imagine them to be or is it just uh, i mean there are some elements of batman's story that lend it to more serious fare something that you know someone can have a vision for and take in a different direction to a lot of these other movies but even beyond that for me i always think there is there is something just about the boldness i don't know if that's a warner thing i don't know if that's just the difference in who has control of these properties but there's there is a difference and often when it feels like superhero movies are all moving in the one direction like this isn't just different anything marvel have done this is really really different to anything dc have been doing both all snyder stuff really different thankfully to joker and that's exciting whether whether it sets off a trend now where lots of other kind of all sides of superhero uh, movie world Lots of other directors are like, yeah, I want mine to be as dark as the Batman and to have that kind of vibe to it is interesting. And I think if that was the case, it would probably lead to some really disastrous results because I don't think every story could be done in this way. And I certainly don't think every director or every actor would be capable of pulling off what they do here. But have you any thoughts on why it always seems to fall on Batman? I do have some thoughts and my I have a take about it. Um, now, this take will probably quickly get uh get squashed and logically because what i'm about to say also applies to another character that was responsible for rewriting what superhero movies became at least his initial movie so iron man started like the extended marvel universe and turned it into like the the team up party and we're gonna go off in all these directions but at least some of those characters that pop up actually like have superpowers and i think what it is about Batman is just the nature of the character being like if Elon Musk got really into like CrossFit and then Don't ruin uh, Batman for me. and fight <laughs> and uh, using his money to fight crime. Jeez, I think it's that he doesn't have is that he did doesn't have superpowers is kind of what makes these filmmakers come in and be like, OK, I'm going to create a vision and make a movie about Batman, but it's a movie first and Batman's just in there. And that's kind of how I feel about like why the the reason is because what what else could it be? I can't see us going for like a dark, uh, gritty Spider-Man reboot any anytime soon. Like the the tone of other characters just don't necessarily fit. With I, I, that. Think, I think I think you have room to make a much. It's not going to be the Batman, but I think there is room in Spider-Man's story. Like look at his origins. Um, there are, there is room to make a much darker version of of that. Like. Now, Marvel are just not going to do it because it's some fit with the Marvel vision. Iron Man is a character that there is ample room to make a really, really dark film. That is certainly, it's not what the MCU is about now. Maybe they eventually cycle through all of this, success falls off, and if it all has to be rebooted, you've got to try some new stuff. And maybe it does. I could never see it getting to these kind of extremes. We'll see what's happening in like 40 or 50 years. I'm sure they've got enough content mapped out until you and i are like doing this podcast in the old folks home together if they could ever make a hulk movie which is just a real challenge for them since the, the whole ed norton movie and um i guess the eric banner one before that they haven't had great success with that bruce banner though i mean he's got to be going through it right he's got to be going through some stuff it's not it's not easy being green and all that like <laughs> There's, there's, I'm, there is potential. Like, I think, 
I think if they ever wanted to loosen up and have some fun with the directions they take it in, and that really, what it comes down to is Batman has had freedom to experiment um, in ways that some of those other characters just have not been allowed to. And certainly since the beginning of the MCU, where then everything has to fit in under this one very streamlined corporate vision um, where continuity is key. Now, but- here's a question I, I have for you that kind of branches into that, because I like I said, I have no knowledge of comic books. And I know from, I, I guess some of the batman animated shows that i've you know seen an episode to uh here or there there are like a lot of different types of batman kind of where we catch him in different periods almost like is that the case where it's like you've got a lot of additions like i don't know there's there just more variety to go around and that's why people feel that license to take uh, batman in different directions or is that not that, that applies for spider-man too i mean okay yeah i just have the, no knowledge there are that. different iterations and i mean obviously miles morales is a uh, a completely different take on the character a different a different character um you know embodying spider-man that we have seen come to the screen and it's been in the very very good spider-man uh, video games and i it just feels like a matter of time before miles morales ends up in the mcu like once tom holland is out <laughs> they will get miles morales in and i'm sure that will be very successful that's a great tool for them to have and um, particularly with the fact that those two versions of spider-man or i mean everyone saw in the spider-verse there's multiple iterations it's been proven it's been tested it works people like it you can do multiple spider-man um we saw that in another movie there there are lots of things you could do with that and that character i mean I, i think that's just in batman's case that's a byproduct of it being around for so long and then different different writers and different comic book artists they team up they come to it and it's like okay well what is my vision of batman going to be and you will get then yeah well okay he's always been this kind of age let's do him older let's do him younger let's take the story in this direction i mean i think it has had some of the more notable runs it has had some of the most respected and i think also kind of high-minded um writers in the comic book field get involved and and have iconic batman entries like um i mentioned frank miller there alan moore the killing joke that's that's a great example of that too where like you've got the guy who created watchman doing an iconic batman and that takes on a lot of the kind of the characteristics of Alan Moore's work, whether that's even something like V for Vendetta or a lot of other things he's been involved in. So I, I think maybe that speaks to it. And I don't know. I don't know enough about the history of DC versus the history of Marvel in terms of creative control. And is that actually something that goes beyond the screen to those publications, even their prior form, that DC have always just been more open to people coming in and experimenting with Batman and putting their own spin on it. But it's it's kind of bearing out on screen. I mean, Spider-Man is the the crucial kind of launching pad for for Marvel, and I guess Sam Raimi's movies, although they predated MCU and they were made at Sony, they in a lot of ways kind of set a template for what the MCU could be, in a tone, in a feeling, in just kind of continually building out your story. That's kind of a template, and I guess. If you're to go before that, it was Burton's Batman. Burton's Batman gave the first sense of like 
oh, these can be really big commercial movies. But like Batman is first. Batman is consistently first. And when things take a major swing in a different direction, like Sam Raimi was a really, really well-respected, acclaimed genre filmmaker. It was a big deal when he made Spider-Man. Nolan, though, Nolan being what Nolan even still to his day is, which is slightly drier and slightly more serious. He's a genre filmmaker too, but he works very hard to make sure that, you know, the average moviegoer doesn't notice that he's a genre filmmaker. So when he gets Batman and he makes his version of Batman with that trilogy and it's as successful as it is, it's as critically acclaimed, like that turns everything on its head. And that's, it's not a secret. It's like when DC's output has looked like it has, and has not been very successful. Part of that was Nolan's trilogy finished. They had to move in a different direction. And it's very difficult to move in a different direction from that and find ways that everyone's straight in on it. You have to get your initial decision right. They chose the wrong people to get involved and oversee not just Batman, but Justice League. That's my opinion. There are <laughs> there are people who you know, started petitions and stuff online who feel differently about that. But I think I'm in the majority on that. So it took a little bit of time. And I guess now we're at the reset. Like, and even if the reset was before this, maybe it was Joker, a film that I truly and utterly despise. But maybe Joker was the movie that said to DC, you know, let filmmakers just take big swings with this. Let it be its own thing. If it can be something more than just its own thing, that's great. We'll build on it from there. But first of all, let's do something that's interesting on its own two feet. If, if it was Joker that did that, I mean, we're still really talking about Batman, you know, and it's it's this particular world that just seems to bring out a lot of the most interesting stuff in superhero films. I'm not saying that, like, this is the best or The Dark Knight is the best, even for people who love those movies. That's not, you don't have to feel that, but I think it's pretty undeniable that major, major shifts in how those films are being made, like, go to Burton's Batman, go to Nolan's Batman and if this is the next wave of where the character is going to be kind of doing some very interesting things and maybe becoming dominant like if if this helps over a couple of movies DC to battle it out with Marvel at the top end again that would even be really interesting because of just how much that landscape has changed since Nolan made his films yeah I think where the Batman succeeds where Joker failed is it's darkness with nuance and shit painting with shades of gray whereas i think joker appealed to the wrong sorts of interest and also hit you over the head with a sledgehammer and you know as as quote-unquote good as that joaquin phoenix performance was deemed to be by many that movie was just uh it was doing a lot but um yeah it's interesting i i wonder like is is there a point where if the only lesson other filmmakers in the DC world take from this is our our movie needs to be dark and gritty and that could go in a direction that just like becomes exhausting and kind of copycat in nature where it doesn't bring all the elements together that this did and, and it just feels forced I'm not saying that's going to happen I think where this set the table for this world going forward I'm really intrigued to see where it goes I mean I, I think they're going to, without spoiling anything, I think they're not going to double down on emo Bruce Wayne as much. Uh, I think there were some. I think there were some hints towards maybe like, um, 
more, more hopeful, positive outlook. Uh, well, but that's, that's sure. Oh, not sure. I, we'll I get it. We'll I get into that debate. I dis I disagree with you. Um, and I rarely do that. But uh, but I do. I am excited for for where it goes, uh, moving forward. And I I think it can still still keep the the tone and the kind of noir feel without it people co- go, coming away with like oh, just enough with emo batman like i'm over it like buddy go out in the sunshine well, look here's the thing and even the more emo the better in this sense right batman and part of the magic of batman is like if these are double acts batman is is the straight man you know batman is there so the Joker can be as wild as he was. I like this is part of the problem with Joker for me as a movie is that not that Joaquin Phoenix's Joker performance isn't good or couldn't be really interesting. Just if you're gonna give a whole movie over to just that character, you need some really nuanced writing and a very, very clever director to pull that off. And I do not think it had either of those things or anything close to it. Could that Joker and that kind of vision of Joker work have worked in this world? Like with everything around it? Yeah, I, I think it could. And the the evidence for that is Paul Dano's Riddler, which is like really dialed up to 11 in spots and in some ultra, ultra dark places. But Batman just being as straight down the middle, as emo in this case as he is, helps to ground and counter that you know and uh, i think that that is something that works in the character's favor too it's maybe the biggest thing that we didn't touch on and talk about what makes it different to other other comic book characters and batman has all the best villains this is the thing so if you've got all the best villains you just need to be stoic and heroic and save the day and it's even i think it's been a problem when Superman's been on screen at times because you've got Lex Luthor. If you go beyond Lex Luthor, though, it gets dicey. And there's only so many times you can watch Superman save the day where in Batman, you can just roll these people off. And it's like, okay, it's the Joker. It's the Riddler. It's Bane. It's the Penguin. Um, Oh, there's Catwoman. You know what? She's not neither, neither a hero or a villain, which really useful thing for comic book movies that I don't feel like very many of them have. Um, I never exactly felt like this, but Loki was a big deal for MCU fans and people really respond to that character. Loki got a series. In part, I think it helps to have a, an ambiguous character in the mix who, depending on uh, what suits their own agenda at a given moment, they may act one way or another. I like Batman having all of that is, is a big part of what informs it too, because ultimately you got to have this guy save the day over and over again. That's what all of these movies are about. Batman is one of the few characters where it's it's almost assured that there's an interesting path to do that because the villains are there and there's villains upon villains upon villains. And that is certainly uh, the case in this movie. Will we... Yeah, will we... Mean... No, go on, you can respond. Yeah, go ahead, sorry. No, go ahead. I, I was just going to move it on, but if you're going to say with that, we can say that first. Yeah, I assume we, you were going to tee us up to talk about more about the villains. Is that is that where you were headed? Oh, I was going to move us into some more open discussion. Like, we've been very much spoiler-free so far. We'll probably open up to talk a little bit more freely now and get in some plot specific, specific. So, I mean, I think most people have probably seen this. 
Um, but yeah, let's let's get into it. We can go wherever you want. If you want to start with the villains or the various kind of characters around Batman, we can do that. Yeah, I I wanted to to just touch on again the villains and going into spot uh, plot specifics. So if you haven't seen the Batman, you know, go see it and come back to this just because I, I want to get into some of the nitty gritty about about these characters that I, I talked about enjoying so much. But I think for me, compared to other comic book movies, as we were saying, uh, the villains also add to ground that sense of realism. I mean, we've got Carmine Falcone, who's this uh, organized crime drug dealer boss played brilliantly by John Turturro. Uh, like if you, if you just want to have John Turturro in any kind of like character role, that's like very specific and tuned in, he's just going to kill it. And we've got Colin Farrell in the, the most makeup and what, what's the word I'm looking for prosthetics that you could think of playing the penguin. I, I was sitting next to my buddy. I go, did you know that was Colin Farrell? He's like, you're fucking with me. And uh, my take was, you know, we thought that you couldn't ever reboot the Sopranos in the future, but we just have Colin Farrell play Tony Soprano and it's going to be fine. Um, but I think my favorite performance in the movie and, and my just favorite villain is the central villain. And that's the Riddler. I'm a Paul Dano head, so I, I might be biased, but it also helps ground this film in a sense of realism because it seems like the kind of thing that could happen to to politicians in modern day and that's terrifying they essentially have created a you know no offense to paul dano but i kind of look like him so i'm offending myself as well but he's kind of just like a pale dweeby white guy behind a keyboard who's got an online contingent of crazy followers who's going throughout this corrupt city and causing chaos and that's the kind of shit that happens every day in my country. So like it, it was sneaky, terrifying and just making the Riddler almost like a creepy gimp when he's performing these like uh, acts of violence instead of like, <laughs> instead of Jim Carrey dressed in like spandex with question marks all over him. Like that grittier, realer feeling was just like, really made this feel less like a comic book movie and more like a holy shit we need to catch the serial killer movie and i i just thought that was a a brilliant way to take it and paul dano is just so creepy in in everything he does whether he's got the voice changer whether he's just sitting in a diner saying i just ordered pumpkin pie i mean i just thought it's it's one of the the better villain performances uh that i think we've seen in in comic book movies and it comes from one of the when you're looking at the actual actor from one of the not quite so imposing <laughs> looking characters we'll say yeah i mean in some ways like he ledger is not the most imposing he brought a physicality to his performance that, that kind of made it that i this was a once i heard this was the casting this was a home run for me one dano does not act very often anymore like it obviously He's got his mind on writing and directing and after wildlife, I mean, there's, there is no reason why he shouldn't. It's a really great movie. And if that's where his interests lie, he is a, a kind of vocal and avid cinephile, a very sin literate actor and a director. And if that's what he wants to do, I'd say, yeah, go for it. Like I'm very excited to see more of the movies he makes, 
but he is a phenomenally interesting character actor and you don't really need to tell anyone that i think most people have seen and loved there will be blood and are very familiar with his work in that movie which as much as like as much as everyone will always talk about daniel day lewis in any movie he's in like i think of i think of paul dano and i think of that movie because all of the really like the top tier the most quotable the most memorable scenes that daniel plainview gets to have in that movie are they're built around playing off of paul dano you know they're built around eli and that is a real testament to him and yet he's someone that you just don't see that often so when i heard that he was going to do this one it does it immediately perked my ears up because you start thinking about okay this is now a batman movie that has got robert pattinson signed on to be batman and paul dano to be the riddler you know that script has got to be interesting yeah <laughs> there's got to be a vision for this movie that is very far removed uh from i guess even like i don't know paul dano is too weird i feel to fit into nolan's like batman world yeah i i agree um Ledger was is just on the, the just other on the side right. of that line. Just, he was yeah. just on the the absolutely right kind of level of a list handsome too, um, which which is kind of more more there. Not not saying that the people in this movie are not incredibly attractive people, um, but you know you get Colin Farrell and then you make him not look like Colin Farrell at all. There's there's something to be read into the intent there, but much like you know John Turturro showing up and giving as much as he does like you don't expect that in these movies i i had forgotten until i was watching the movie that he was in it and then you see him and you see the performance he's giving and it really really works and pays off like falcon is a crucial piece of this movie but you also get more invested just in that world in like the criminal underworld that is kind of at the center of this movie, but it's also not at the center of this movie. It's just establishing kind of the cesspit that Gotham is, that that Batman is trying to navigate and work his way through and, I don't know, find his purpose amidst all of that. To go back to the Riddler, so, as this was the part that worked for you, I mean, the very obvious thing from early in the movie is Zodiac from the opening scene, and then it is a clever use of one... Um, using a contemporary movie that people loved and also a terrifying historical figure um, who really sowed the kind of chaos that any Batman villain is looking to sow in their city. And that is representative of the effect that the Zodiac Killer had in the Bay Area. So in displaying not just ciphers, which could be something you could do with a Riddler, but, you know, the kind of the printed or handwritten ciphers that look exactly like Zodiac ciphers, uh, was certainly a choice. I sure it worked. It worked in the end. I think there had to be more to the character for that whole thing to pay off. When I saw in the couple of weeks before the movie came out, and the kind of the character shots of Dano in costume were uh, released, I believe Matt Reeves tweeted them out himself. I was like, this might just be leaning too heavily on a certain kind of vision of of zodiac um the i can't remember exactly the name of the lake but that the lakeside scene in zodiac uh, where he comes up on the young couple and he's dressed not entirely dissimilarly to the costume that 
Dana wears as the Riddler in this movie. I think all of that works because the movie knows when to move away from that. And it, it's something that's a really kind of tough balancing act and two things that kind of could, be, could have put me off that character on both sides, which is leaning so heavily on Zodiac. And then on the other side, being so closely tied to, you know, contemporary events and the idea of a figure like that. But I, I do think it just about came off in all the right ways. And I, I wasn't entirely sure of that until we got a confrontation scene between Batman and the Riddler and Paul Dano just dialed it right up and he full on became like that mode of himself. That is, you know, some of the great scenes you've abandoned your child from uh, there will be blood. That version of Paul Dano comes out in those scenes and you're like, okay, it works. It works just because he is that good as an actor that he has found the right notes to just kind of balance and keep this character together. It could have kind of burst the seams, but his acting, I think, really kind of brings it together. And yeah, there's just this level of menace that it it should really be the goal. Like that's, that's what the villain should be doing in a Batman movie, but they're not often pitched that as dark a point or at the kind of audience that maybe this is where you don't get to see it be as menacing as he actually is in this case. Yeah, and I think uh, something that could have felt forced and maybe still did a little bit um, was when we get a little bit of the backstory about his radicalization, we'll call it. Uh, I think the why behind why he's doing what he's doing makes a lot of sense when you tie that in. I love providing some, and like I said, don't know anything about comics, so I don't know how prevalent this is, but I like seeing that gray area about Bruce Wayne's parents and having him try to get that revelation and then have to grapple with it as he's being targeted by the Riddler. I like the Riddler having a reason to be doing what he's doing, even if it's his mission is like obviously wrong, (laughs) but having that tied together and then him becoming like a leader for these psychopaths and feeling like he's like that scene in particular is amazing because there are points of it like especially early in the scene where he still kind of feels like he's won and then as we get to the end of the scene and it's just incredibly creepy and uh like you said makes him not just a zodiac knockoff but it's entirely his own thing you mentioned uh bruce wayne's parents which this is the thing that every time they do this you know the movies reliably open up on that note and it's just, it's it's so nauseatingly boring and repetitive at this point. Everyone knows. It's like, how do you find a better way to do that? I kind of hope this movie would just ignore his parents. Pretend he did not have parents or they had any bearing on his life. It doesn't do that. The parents are a very significant kind of really driver for the plot in the end, which I didn't see coming with the way it was unfolding. But I do respect that it at least did some stuff to subvert that, um, to toy around with the the squeaky clean image of his parents that has generally been a staple of the movies, and to do a lot that informs. Okay, this is why this is why Robert Pattinson looks like this and acts like this, and this is why he's doing it again, much like the idea of the happy-go-lucky playboy billionaire Bruce Wayne is kind of something that's tough to to accept as being grounded in any kind of real world 
I think the idea of just, you know, this absolutely, you know, obsessive, um, almost maniacal vigilante figure who just wants to stop crime and you, you've got to have the right motivation for that. And they found a way that had more immediacy in using the parents to do that, even if I'm still just at a point where I'm like, I just dare someone to come along and make a Batman movie where he's broken and we don't need to know why he's broken because guess what? This is how a lot of movies work. You meet a character and that character has baggage and they are a certain way and we watch how they deal with that baggage, but we don't necessarily need to get to the root of why they are the way they are. It's, it's something that is still kind of interesting in a, in a film like this that breaks away from so many kind of staples of Batman past. The fact the parents are still there is a disappointment, but at least there was something there that was a little bit different, a little bit subversive. Yeah. Um, I could, I, we didn't, we weren't subjected to a scene of them outside of a, a theater. Pearls with- dropping in slow motion sort of thing. Yeah, exactly, and that was enough for me um, because I, I, I'm I'm done with it. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of anything other, else other we haven't characters. touched on. Other characters, I, I can think of uh, one character and one actress we haven't talked about who we talked about a lot last week, which was Zoe Kravitz. And um, when we recorded our Kimmy episode last week, I had just returned from seeing the Batman and having a a Zoe Kravitz back-to-back day. What were your thoughts on Zoe Kravitz's Catwoman? I will just say that Catwoman as a character has a very strong hold on me, Andrew. I just, I just, I see Catwoman on screen. And I'm like, you know what? I like this movie. This is something I knew about you. Um, could have been because of who portrayed Catwoman in the Nolan series. Could be. Not saying it is. Could be. I, uh, I actually I, I do think though seriously, just that character has worked. Like you go to Michelle Pfeiffer too. It's it's when they bring that character in. I, I don't think there was really many plaudits for Anne Hathaway aside from me. I really, really thought she was effective in those movies. And I thought she was at peace with those movies. I know there's people being like, oh, it felt like she's in a different movie. I didn't think that. I thought she was being catwoman within that world and it largely worked. Um, but I, I just think when this character appears. It goes back to even what I mentioned earlier. It's this idea of someone who can dip in and at one moment could be helping Batman, at the other minute could be hurting Batman. It's interesting. It's much more useful for this kind of movie than what you usually see. Yeah, I agree completely. And I mean, I'll start by saying just, I still need to watch the Saturday Night Live episode that she hosted this past weekend. I only saw her her, uh, skit with the please don't destroy guys because uh, I'm a big fan of their insane brand of comedy um but she's a superstar is is really what it is i mean she's you know kimmy we talked about how much we loved her there and then she she's the centerpiece of that film and then she comes in here and isn't quite the centerpiece but is an integral part in making the story go and she just absolutely crushes it i mean the thing about catwoman like you're saying is we need to trust her but not quite trust her and she needs to seem like someone that we can rely on and someone that's you know powerful and 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 worth learning more about but also it needs to seem like she's got a secret that that we don't quite know just yet and i think that's she brings all of those elements together in 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 a really fun way i mean even 
even as as she walks in um, to Carmine or the Penguin's office, bringing him some drugs and a money drop or whatever, as Batman's interrogating him initially. I mean, just the way her subtle glance at a at the photograph and just the way she plays that off in a way that's not quite obvious, but we can tell exactly the recognition there and the recognition from Pattinson's Batman. I mean, there, there's just little things that she does. And then just the, the physicality to her walk when she's trying to manipulate some of these uh, politicians or just as she like swaggers onto her motorcycle. I mean, she's just bringing this character that we know the elements that she has to bring to be Catwoman. She brings those all together, and then I think she's just a really phenomenal actress that always gives authentic performances, even if, I, I mean, one of the things about superhero movies, and this is not really a criticism, but, like, the, the scripts can be a little hammy at some points, and I think, you know, talking on rooftops, looking into Batman's eyes, being like, if nobody's going to help Ani, or you're not going to do it, who will? But to to deliver that in a way that I'm like, yes, yes, uh, Selena, we need to go find her. Like she she just uh, in a film with a lot of like heavy hitting actors that can like suck the air out of the room with just their brilliance. She's out punching them in some scenes and going toe to toe. And I think like. I'm excited to see if she pops up. Obviously, she will pop up in future films, whether she gets we get a Catwoman standalone film or we get her involved. I don't know. Is that already? I think Catwoman standalone is just like Halle Berry and the weird related, unrelated Mm. thing that was gone. That might have killed that for quite some time. Like maybe there could be a HBO Max Catwoman series and that would. I, I think there is a danger and trust me, all these companies are going to dice with that danger uh, of like just over diluting this whole thing and seeing too much in other ways. And then what actually meant something when you see the first movie and building up the world it loses all of its mystery, its mystique. And you're like, you know what, this is, this is just not doing very much anymore. I think for Zoe Kravitz, she is, she is an incredibly gifted physical actress. And I didn't really know this up until Kimmy and this movie and you see two completely different extremes and one where she's a bundle of anxiety the other where she's a picture of supreme confidence and so much of portraying Catwoman is it's about your movements about the way you carry yourself and as both as Selena Kyle and as Catwoman like she just nails it she has real real presence throughout this movie you you understand why she has this hold over over uh, Batman too you understand why Robert Pattinson is looking at her the way he is and why that particular personality, that particular character is having that impact on his Batman too. Um, just with the way she carries herself, with the way she speaks, like it's, it's all right there and cast that wrong. And this movie in particular with the way the plot is tied together and how central Catwoman is to it, like the movie would just fall apart. Um, she has a lot of heavy lifting because if that doesn't work, the whole thing is gone. And she nails it. It's really, really great. I would be shocked if she's not involved in future movies. Um, but the ending point to this, I think, does the right thing in sending them away from each other, sending her off. And, you know, second act, third act of a sequel might be a good place where you bring her back in. But to speak to one of the initial points we made, this feels like a real world where people can just step in and step out. And it doesn't have to be a big setup where it's like, here's 
this character, everyone in the theater needs to stand up and, you know, cheer. It's like, no, no, you just turn a corner and yeah, the penguin could be involved in a crime right here. Um, or this villain could be doing something, which that is that is the heart of Batman. And it's interesting too. Um, something else I have invested in Batman-wise is I got the, the full animated series box set. Because like you had said, I mean, I've probably seen episodes here or there before um, because I certainly have an awareness of Mark Hamill's uh, portrayal of the Joker. But I do know, and it was something that Matt Reeves has referenced, it's like the thing with that and with that being kind of serialized and just kind of episodical is you go from one episode to another and there could be a different villain. And it's just that should be the nature of this. That is comic book storytelling. So if you're going to make these movies and you're going to branch them out, you're going to be given the ultimate scope. Like, I can't think of a bigger version of Batman, a more ambitious Batman than one where you could have the Joker and the Riddler and you go on and on and they're all at large at once. And what does that do for the world? Yeah, you may for narrative purposes, it, it might be best to kind of choose one here or there. But it was something that Nolan got right and also didn't go as far as he could have. Like, um, obviously you have you have Two Face in the Dark Knight, and you're you're kind of very Harvey Dent was perfect to weave into the Joker story in that movie, and then to to really tie all of that together. That works, but it wasn't a central element of all of Nolan's films, and they were very kind of segmented. Like Scarecrow comes back for like the trial scene in Dark Knight Returns. Don't think he was in Dark Knight at all. You know, that's that's not the same thing, really. You don't just, oh, there's a cameo of this. It's like, make it feel real. Make it feel like they're all in the world. They could all be at large or they could all be plotting. And even like a character like Falcone makes perfect sense for that um, because you get something that is more kind of ongoing criminal underworld. Starting Penguin out with the way Penguin is in this movie, maybe you just continue to build Penguin in this kind of vision but even if you go to a much different place, a much bigger place, like I, I think this is the way to start because it allows him to just be a, an actual character in the world. Like Danny DeVito's Penguin, it's a very fun performance. Like that character could not just be at the background of the world. You can't just be like, oh, Penguin's here. It's like he can't be there without being the center of attention. So I, I think that kind of decision making is really what informs it. We should probably talk a little bit more about Penguin because I was blown away by Colin Farrell. Uh, his eyes are still his eyes and his eyes are doing a lot of work. The accent was perfect. It didn't slip at all. Colin Farrell's accent could slip at times. It did not slip here. Uh, I was just really, really bowled over by how much he seemed to be relishing it, I guess, more than anything. Like, to be this kind of character, you've made your Sopranos joke you know, I get it. I get where you're coming from with the joke. The The crazy thing is, is like we've talked about how dark this movie is. And at a three hour runtime, that could like just not derail everything, but it could become a slog. And I think while also being essential to the plot mechanics and giving us more information about this criminal underworld. I think his performance also serves as a great bit of comic relief. I mean, 
he's he's just quote unquote a character like he's he's a uh one like a wise guy i guess so yeah. to speak would be the be- best way to describe it and like you said it's it's pitch perfect and it's something that that shouldn't <laughs> that shouldn't work i i was uh so i was before this i saw the uh trailer for the new Baz Luhrmann Elvis movie that played going into it. And I see Tom Hanks doing an accent in a bunch of prosthetics and makeup. And I'm like, can we just go on? I said, good God, that looks awful. I don't think it looks awful. I think it looks terrible. This is the wider reaction to that movie is it looks terrible. I'm like, I'm I'm open to seeing it. I think there's some stuff I'm, there. Let me see it. I'm going to see it, but I expect it's going to be terrible. But, you know, I'm going in. I'm going to go in with an that, open mind. That Elvis guy who was Tex in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That's who Elvis is. He was Tex in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. And he's he's now just being cast in the, the Dune sequel. Well, I, I'm much more looking forward to his performance in the Dune sequel, but I'm, I'll see the Elvis movie. I, I, you, you put Baz Luhrmann's name in front of something, and I don't have high hopes for it. That's me being unfair. Baz Luhrmann has but... style. That's all I'll say. Do I like what he does? Mm, there's some I haven't seen that remain, but I, I respect, as you know, directors that take big swings and are like, well, my movie is going to look a certain way, and there may not be someone that that is more true for working in hollywood the basler i know you mean that as a compliment but it doesn't always go that I, way i do mean uh, it as a compliment you're gonna get us make a movie you get a chance to do it like i mean that applies to matt reeves here too um like that's that's how good stuff gets made good stuff gets made at the risk that this could also be bad but it's that you have a distinct vision and you're going to take a swing for it because you're getting to make a movie like uh, i very strongly believe that is what's at the heart of that that's how a batman like this gets made like, it's not the studio being like, we want a Batman that looks like this. It's someone like Matt Reeves being like, well, I want to make a Batman that's this story, and I I can see it like this. Like, that's that's Baz Luhrmann. I mean, Baz Luhrmann's Batman, anyone? I don't know. Don't do this. Um, <laughs> you want to do a Great Gatsby pod next week? Do you want to do that? Let's I don't, do I don't even like that film. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know if I like any of his films. But the well, man has I, style, I, and I respect style. That's as it, as does Matt Reeves in this film, and I yes. think this is one of those areas where his style he committed to exactly. a a tone and a viewpoint, and it works really well. I mean, there are points of this movie is where there it's like, what if Gotham was Seattle and it was rainy the whole time, and it works incredibly well. It could have seen heavy handed, but there's just like a darkness and a wetness did you get seattle <laughs> i didn't get seattle vibes so you might be no just the like, rain i do believe I they actually that. shot in chicago london i love the Ed- uh, edinburgh i think they're the i loved cities the, uh, this was shot in i i loved the frequent gotham square garden shots yeah uh, <laughs> i mean that, there are a reason was... why they are frequent which is ultimately paid off it's like it's yeah a, it's some foreshadowing but um if there's flooding you should always go downstairs into a building that's what i've always said yeah it's that is interesting uh even just i was i kept thinking of james dolan that's every time they do that i just kept thinking of james dolan and the knicks what are what are the gotham city knicks like are they better than the new york knicks i was yeah that's a great question i would love to unpack that and like we didn't get a shot of you know, Bane blew up Heinz Field. 
and we watched Hans Ward take a kickoff back and the field just crumble beneath him. We didn't get that. Weren't, weren't they MSG. the actual Pittsburgh Steelers on the pitch though? On that? Yeah. Hans yeah Ward, and in Steelers a... uniforms, like. Or, or in Steelers like uniforms. Uh, with they were black and yellow, yellow, which I know is yeah, also exactly. Batman colors, but. Hmm. Yeah, it's complicated so we did, though. We did, that, go on. I'm absolutely sidetracking us by thinking of the sports, you know, settings within Batman movies. Yeah, that's my fault. I brought it up, but like, I just wanted, like the, uh, the, um, just the like the New York Knicks logo on center court as people are shuffling into the building. Like, I wanted a similar shout out. But yeah, I this. As often, I think when I see a stylish movie, uh, is your comment to me, like you said about Baz Luhrmann, you said it about someone else and I can't remember who it was that you're like, at least it had style. And that's how, you know, even if this movie had gone wrong, which it didn't, you could have said that. And I don't know, there are a lot of little things that, you know, stand out to people that are smarter than me about filmmaking. But I, I don't know, is something, something as simple as the ending as they're driving off from one another uh on on the motorbikes and we get the image of him like glancing at her in the real rear view mirror is something that i I don't know it just kind of highlighted the distance that's growing but beyond them in that moment and i thought it was just a a little a little decision that uh i thought went over really well but you know i don't i don't know all the the special things that people do throughout movies i'm I'm just a vibes guy listen my guiding guiding star on this you know it was a movie at least stylish you know did someone at least if they failed did they do something that was worth failing for it did they try something it comes in a movie that we may end up making reference to next week where a favorite figure of this particular podcast has a great line which is did you avoid the temptation to be obvious that's that's how i feel anytime i go see a movie it's they avoid because it's easy like if if a studio is going to give you money and you've got a good cast and it's like yeah i can just make the you know the perfectly paint by number solid Batman that's going to be six to six and a half out of ten for everyone. No one's going to hate it. It will make money and, you know, people go see it, but it has no, it will have no legacy for good or for bad. So, yeah, I, I think when someone takes a swing, like I, I think the Batman becomes elevated because of its style. If it didn't look like this, I don't think the discussion is the same. It makes it stand out. The performances are great. Uh, I think the script is pretty good, but I, I think the thing that sets it completely, you know, over the edge that just helps it to be not like everything else is, yeah, there's also some big swings visually. Will it be to everyone's taste? No, but if you're going to do it, do it. It's, it's the way movies should be. I feel strongly about it, as you know. I, I Absolutely. And I also forgot to mention this earlier when we were going through like character and plot, but I really love Jeffrey Wright as yes, commissioner or not commissioner at that point, but Jim Gordon will say, mm-hmm. because there's almost like an every man quality to him the same way there's like flaws or like your Batman's Batman's not invincible. Like so I love, I love the way he just keeps calling him man. Like <laughs> that's a recurring thing. He's like, I don't even know who you are, man. And like, Do you think he brought like, any, any insights on police cooking to, Oh, I, that that's what I wondered. I don't I don't know about the schedule for filming issue. This end of French Dispatch was probably first, right? Yes, it would have been. Yeah, so I, I don't know if that was like he brought some inspiration. It's like I know this about my character that he's a whiz in the kitchen, but uh, 
but like I don't get to bring bring that to this role, but like just know that's part of my backstory. Um, but yeah, I thought he he was fantastic and just brought like a realism and grounded sense again to, um, I guess it's it, it wasn't quite incompetence, but there's some flaws flaws there, like when they stick the uh, USB into like his computer and things go haywire and sending off emails. It's like, yeah, you're you're good at your job and you're like noble and you want to do the right thing. But you're not you're not great. <laughs> like kind of seen M do stuff like that in Bond movies recently too. I that's a tricky thing. I think people need to stop uh just having the most like mind-numbingly dumb uh oh I don't know how to use technology and I'm gonna set the plot in motion or kind of advance things with you. So that's tough. Um it's it's just a joy to see Jeffrey Wright getting these kind of roles, see him thriving. I think he deserves it. He's a great great actor who's having a very very strong kind of few years and long may that continue um there was one this is gonna be a little harsh but there, there's one element of this movie that i don't particularly like and i don't know if i will like it going forward and this is andy circus's alfred i'm not sure if this works now this movie was pretty thankless for andy circus um he basically just got blown up and then shouted at uh, that's kind of it um he's not an actor that i'm crazy about though i i find it i find it tough anytime he's not like you know Gollum or some planet of the apes ape or something when it's actually him i i find it difficult to connect to him as an actor and i wasn't quite getting on alfred's wavelength and that is maybe the only character i feel that way about in this movie i don't know if i have an alternative i haven't really thought that true but it just that wasn't working for me yet maybe it works more and their relationship will build more in future movies which i have very little doubt there will be um i guess that was true of no one's movies which is like the, the place where you end up at the end of the trilogy with Michael Caine's Alfred is very different to, I guess, where we were early on. Um, so maybe that can develop, but I wasn't won over by Andy Serkis' Alfred. Yeah, it wasn't my favorite performance and it also just wasn't like the content he was given to work with wasn't necessarily yeah. my favorite in the film. Just... I don't know. It was a lot of it was just like, I mean, this, the scene, one of my least favorite scenes in the movie that didn't really work for me is them in the hospital room uh, when uh, Bruce Wayne has just learned like about his dad paying off or, or getting Carmine Falcone to kill off, killed. Yeah, kill off a journalist. And Alfred's just like doubling down on defending it. He was like, no, it was for the family. And I'm like, I don't know that all this works. I don't know that like, what is this character supposed to be? And he's like, I wasn't a good enough fake dad for you. Like, I don't know. It's, just, <laughs> it's very messy, not really working for me. And I guess Andy Serkis is just kind of like a buff dude at this point in his life, kind of. And he is, yeah. seems Kind of seems gruff. And I don't necessarily mind that for Alfred if it's I mean, worse. Put a mask just... on him and let him be Robin at this rate because he looks like he can handle himself. Yeah, well, we, that's not we a real suggestion be... for him to be Robin, but he does look like he could be a legitimate partner in crime. 
Well, the dead mayor's kid is going to be Robin in 20 years. So that's what, <laughs> that's what they're setting up there. But yeah, it just, that was it. Yeah, it didn't all the way come together. I don't hate I didn't hate the idea, but just their scenes together were some of my least favorite in, in the movie. OK, um, we'll uh, there's one that we'll get to your the thing that we disagreed on earlier in a moment, which I guess is tied to kind of right around the end of the movie. Uh, but Barry Keown uh, makes an appearance right before. Uh, one, I respected that this was not a mid-credits, post-credits sting, which is exactly what a Marvel movie would do with this. The fact that it wasn't even just the end of the movie and they just worked it into it. It's like, or was it the final scene? I don't think so. No, it wasn't the final scene. No. The final scene goes back to the thing that I think we're probably going to argue about. Um, yeah, exactly. But Barry Keown is in a cell in Arkham next to the Riddler. And he's kind of consoling him, talking to him. And it's it's very obvious right away what's happening here with the voice, with the laugh. Then eventually, seems like Barry Keown is the Joker. Matt Reeves has said this is not something that is like, oh, the next movie is the Joker movie and Barry Keown is the Joker. As much as he wanted the Joker to be in this world. He wanted us to feel like a real Batman world. So yeah, Riddler's in Arkham. The Joker could be there too. This is who was cast. Who knows what happens from there? Now, I I do believe that. I also don't believe that because I don't think you cast someone or I don't think anyone signs on uh, to just be like, oh, great. I'm going to be the Joker with my face kind of not shown at all, barely shown. And I'm going to have like two minutes of screen time. And that will be me as Joker. So whether this is something that ends up a HBO Max series, I doubt it. I, you just Is that where you use the Joker? I, I don't think so. Whether this is a really kind of long play because they don't want to go Joker in the second part because that's obviously mirroring Nolan and maybe it's better to just continue to build this out, I don't know. But the Joker's in this world and the Joker seems to be Barry Cowan. What were your thoughts on that? Yeah, I loved it for the same reasons uh, you just said. Uh, number one, that it wasn't a mid-credits scene. Number two, that I didn't even know it was Barry Keown until like we got after the movie, and I was doing some reading up and talking to you. And um, I don't know, it was it wasn't necessarily a, a bit of like a stunt shocking thing. It was just something that's part of the world, and it it made a lot of sense. And if he pops up in movie three. And there, there, that would be like a very rewarding payoff too, just to to see like, oh, he he was there and he could have popped up, but he did. Um, I like to imagine this is like the, I think he was doing an American accent, the Americanized version of his character from The Green Knight is what I was, uh, you know, he had finished wreaking this is havoc the on the killing of the sacred deer. Oh, that too, I forgot about that. Combined, they had a they had a child, and it was the Joker. Um, but, but Barry Keown is a... Uh, did I pronounce that right? Uh, I'm going with Keown now because it looks like it should be Keown. Um, but I, I went along with what Americans have been calling him for years, which was Keogan, which I knew was not it. But I was like, maybe <laughs> maybe he's just decided to go by Keogan for, like, you know, Hollywood purposes. I actually... I still don't know. I, I should probably look up how he's saying it. Keown would seem would seem logical. Like, if you take the A-N off it, that's Kyo. That's what we would be a very common Irish surname, and it's Kyo. So Kyo 
is probably right, but Kyogen still seems to be what you hear most often. That's what I call them a lot because it seems to be what everyone knows about. But I'm taking a stand and I'm going with Kyogen from now on. If he's going to be okay, the Joker, perfect. we're going to get people to get this right. That's my thing is that, you know, however you say it, he's got the chops to play a superhero movie villain that uh, can stand up to some of the other Joker performances. I, I believe in him. I believe in him too, but that is such a ballsy casting choice. And I'm kind of like, did Matt Reeves tell the studio before they like saw screening and figured out who that character was, that Barry Cohn was going to be the Joker? Because like just looking at the lineage of, you know, Jack Nicholson, Heat Ledger, Joaquin Phoenix, like Barry Cohn is a really talented actor. He's definitely got the right kind of energy too to play the Joker. But going to a studio and being like, yeah, this role that probably every actor in Hollywood would come and audition for, we could have our pick of people. We're going to go with Barry Keown. I think that's very cool. I think it's a decision that fits in line with a world where Robert Pattinson is your Batman and Paul Dano is your Riddler. But I just, I'm still surprised by it. I think it's a really ballsy decision. So I, I would love to eventually see it pay off and get to be that just because that is going to be different like that's a level of going out and making your movie that is stretched beyond even what we've seen in the batman and before we move on i think it's also the only way that us seeing the joker again actually works though because i i'm afraid that some big name actor coming in and getting that role is just doing their own cartoonish performance based on what they've seen ledger and phoenix do and like you and I know who he is, but mm-hmm. just like the people that would go see the Batman don't necessarily. So I think it's For something sure. where you can kind of slip in a unique and, and well-crafted performance as well. It's also he's younger. And if you've got a younger Batman, a younger Joker works and it's not really something we've seen. I mean, Ledger's Joker, I guess was pretty young, but it just didn't factor into it. Um, His physicality is different. Like Breakdown is not a big guy. He's not tall. So that even adds something like the energy is going to be what is going to drive it. And he's just, it's, it's his greatest asset as an actor. So it's a really interesting decision they've made. Um, okay. So you see, you see some glimmers of hope and brightness in Batman's future. And the only reason I'm disagreeing with that is he chooses Gotham. He chooses, he looks, he chooses in spite of all of its madness and all of its problems. He says some, some few lines of dialogue that I can't remember over a week on. And he chooses the city that's broken and will break him and has broken him because that's his duty. In the ultimate Batman decision, like they come to a crossroads and Catwoman, Selena Kyle goes one way, he goes another. Now, I don't expect that their paths will never cross again. But I do think, like, no matter who's Batman, too, that's kind of fundamental, too. They're even like, even if we look at Christian Bale's Batman and even some of the things that they did at the end of that trilogy and how people felt about them, how people talked about them, it's like that's always a difficult thing to be like, oh, you know, Batman's going to choose the happy ending and he's going to live happily ever after. It's like, that's people are suspicious of that and I don't think it really works. And to me, to start this one off, he just very actively is like, no, I choose misery because I am emo Batman. I don't disagree that that's where we could end up. But I think 
his voiceover and him like pulling ladies out of rubble and helping children find their parents, he strikes a hopeful tone of being an active participant in this what he views as the solution. Now he's always been trying to do that as Batman, mm. but I he's, think he's going to be a less destructive Batman. Is like he's he's going to more yes. actively look to do good for other people, but I I don't take it as he's going to do good for himself or necessarily feel all that much better as a result. Oh, yeah, yeah, neither, neither do I necessarily, but I think that it's also going to mean Bruce Wayne is a more active participant in things positive going forward. I mean, we see him having the conversation with the politician who's very idealistic and all that sort of things. I think Bruce Wayne is going to start using his money for good. That will include Robert Pattinson's Bruce Wayne having to do more than, you know, sit in his underground bunker and, and you know, watch eyeball videos back over <laughs> and, and things of that nature. I don't necessarily think it's going to lose that edge and that it that he's not going to go on a journey that ends with him kind of continuing to break himself. But I think we start this next film with a, a little bit of a little difference than we've shown here. I it's it's gonna become exhausting for people, and it's gonna just be like, why are we repeating Batman. the same trick over That's, and over again? Batman is supposed to exhaust people. It's like it's not a sunny view of the world. I don't. I, I understand. I am not like everyone else here. Uh, I, not I'm not saying I wouldn't like that. I'm just saying go. they're setting us up for that. I, Bru- I don't Bruce know. Wayne's gonna be at a ga- or is gonna reluctantly be at a gala writing a check for something mm. in the next movie. I, calling I, it now. I don't think Matt Reeves's vision of Batman really involves too much Bruce Wayne, and I think if he could stick to that, that would be really interesting. Because the his version of the character is consumed by Batman, like that's what he wants to show us here, and I. I don't think there is a way without it being too jarring to transition to Bruce Wayne out in the world like a normal person. And it's kind of more interesting to just see the version that isn't a normal person. Like, I, 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 I think, think that's, it's that's just satisfying. as interesting to see him being forced into like no, I don't, fish Pattinson out of water. He doesn't even things. like those scenarios in real life. I don't know if he exactly. wants to Bruce Exactly. He's not even going to have to act for that, for that, those performances. He's just going to, they're just going to tell Robert Pattinson here, like, go, go talk to these strangers and they're politicians. And that's going to be the movie. No, that's not what's going to happen. I, there, I think there's going to be a little more, I think, but I think you, we get so. Spoiler for anyone that hasn't seen The Dark Knight Rise. Oh, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry right. about that, anyone that hasn't. I feel like, you know, we're, we're safe If you're to listening to that. the Batman podcast, you've seen The Dark Knight that Rise. That movie's but over 10 years old now. The one thing that I, that I will, like, settle for here is in this, whatever Matt Reeves' The Batman endgame is, it is not going to be Alfred peering over at a happy Bruce Wayne at, at a brunch table. And I will agree with you there that in terms of the darkness overtaking Bruce Wayne. Like I want this to end with dead Bruce Wayne or broken Bruce Wayne exiling himself. And I think we're going to get there. I, I don't know if Alfred will make it long enough to be looking over at anyone. That's the feeling I get uh, of, of this particular Bruce Wayne's treatment of Alfred in this particular film, but we'll see. The Milwaukee Brewers have just signed Andrew McCutcheon. So congratulations. We'll be wrapping up in a second. You can fill me in some more about that. <laughs> um okay we we mentioned last week that we would talk about our favorite batman films we're not going to dwell on these very long because i don't know if it's the most interesting list i think we'll align 
with a lot of other people's lists and it maybe won't have the shock value. Just, if we wanted to just do this as a list episode, that would have been best. But Andrew, um, what are your top five Batman movies? Yeah, so my number five, I went with uh, Keaton's original Batman with uh, Jack Nicholson as the Joker. I don't have a huge memory of it. I know I've seen it probably a few times and, you know, uh, as for a certain generation of people like Seth Rogen and the movie Neighbors, Michael Keaton is, is their Batman. Uh, number four, uh, The Dark Knight Rises. Uh, flawed movie, but one that I think ultimately ends that trilogy in an okay way. Um, <laughs> never got the Joseph Gordon-Levitt uh, Robin spinoff. Darn. Uh, number three, Batman Begins. Um, number two, The Batman. Really enjoyed this one, as we just talked about for an hour. And number one, The Dark Knight. Uh, for me, it's number five, Batman Begins. I have Batman, Tim Burton's Batman at number four. I'm coming in really hot here. I've got The Dark Knight Rises at number three. I like Bane. Bane is ridiculous. I like Bane, and I like everything Bane does for that movie. I like the opening scene with Aiden Gillen, and I, I love all of the notes that Zimmer has in the score. I just think... Bane really propels that movie and makes it satisfying. Without Bane, that movie's in trouble. But all of his big set pieces, the the scene at the, I was going to see Wall Street, but is it Wall Street? Whatever it's called in, in Gotham. Um, the scene in the stadium, like all that kind of stuff, it works. I think they're really effective scenes. And that to me is just, it's interesting enough for Tom Hardy came in and was like, okay, I'm the villain who's going to follow up Heath Ledger winning an Oscar for the Joker. <laughs> and he does it. He does it in an unbelievably weird way, but I really, really like it. I, I sincerely enjoy it. It's like the ultimate kind of meme performance of maybe the last 20 years. But I don't think that makes it ineffective. I think it's, it's good. It's entertaining. So yeah, I like The Dark Knight Rises. I might catch some heat for that, but I am who I am, Andrew. I think that's a great you know take. Bane's I'm a big, big Bane Bane's guy. Got style, Andrew. Bane's got style. He's going for it. Hey, listen. In tw- in 10 more years, <laughs> we're going to be talking about how good Bane, Bane was. That? <laughs> I'll watch it. Uh, number two for me is also The Batman. And uh, number one is The Dark Knight, which is not really a surprise to anyone. The Dark Knight is a movie that I haven't watched in quite some time. And I'll be very honest in being like, I got bored of it because I watched it a lot, as I think a lot of people probably did. Also, just uh, this probably speaks to you too, but with the age we were at too, it was it was a point where it was a massive cultural phenomenon uh, for you know teenage boys who look like us, probably even more than anything else. But also it was one of those examples, not as kind of, not as full on as here, but of trying to bridge into some more, I don't know, serious minded classic movies in bringing ideas in or bringing dynamics. Like there are parts of the dark Knight that I watch and I just, I think about heat. Like I've never actually done a dark Knight heat double bill, but that seems like it would be fun. Um, all right. That does it. That does it for our, Batman podcasts. The movie's very fun. If you haven't seen it, well, you should have stopped listening long ago, but if you didn't, well, go see it anyway. It's it's a very good movie. It's it's a lot of fun. Next week, 
finally we've arrived andrew's work is months of work um i won't pretend that it is not months not a full year's worth of work really for me too but the culmination of all of our 2021 movie watching uh, will arrive as we will pick our 10 favorite movies of 2021 our respective top 10 lists We'll shout out some honorable mentions and we will embark on what I'm sure will be an epic pod, but is always one of my favorite podcasts of the year and um, multiple of my favorite hours of any given year uh, spent talking about some great, great movies at Andrew. So that is next week, best of 2021. Are you prepared, Andrew? Are you feeling good? Yep. A few more loose ends to tie up that I'll get tied up uh, between now and the recording and, and, I have a good idea and a sense of where things are headed and ready to talk about it because it was a pretty strong year. All right. To make sure you catch that and all of our future episodes after that one, we'll have an Oscar preview coming up too, or we'll talk through all the categories, give our thoughts on that. Some good stuff coming up over the space of the next week. I should say you'll hear from us probably a little bit sooner than you usually would. Um, That is not a threat and it actually is a promise this time. So, you know, Get, get excited for that to make sure you catch it all though subscribe wherever you get your podcasts you can also follow us on twitter or captured on cell and we will be back with you all very soon sooner than usual thanks again to all of you for listening thank you thanks adam